and help is a human right. Yeah, that's a dirty one. That sounds great. How this human right is starting right now. HIV in New Orleans and broadcasting around the world at whivfm.org. This is Health is a Human Right radio show. Let's go. This is 102.3 WHIV. There's something that doesn't sound right here. I wonder if it's my headphones. Something sounds really crackly. Uh, this is 102.3 WHIV. I can't do this. Hang on a second, guys. I'm going to have to try different headphones. Um, something that doesn't sound right. It's community radio at its best. Uh, tight. All right, let's see if that's any better. No, there's something going on. This is 102.3 WHIV. This is Health is a Human Right. Um, it's uh, Noel Matters. Uh, we have some great guests lined up. Uh, before we get started, let me just say that um, WHIV is the only community radio station that's dedicated to human rights and social justice. All of our hosts and DJs are volunteers, and we're able to provide quality programming with your support. So please consider becoming a member of WHIV by setting up monthly donations of any amount that you wish. That could be a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, any amount that you can afford. We appreciate all donations to WHIV are tax deductible. We also have a new line of T-shirts, tank tops, and the such. They make great gifts. Please go to whivfm.org and click store, donate. Thank you for supporting WHIV. We are not a radio station with a mission. We are a mission with a radio station. And it is with great pleasure that I introduce our first guest uh, today, which is uh, uh, Cameron Holmes and Miss Sheila Phibbs. And I know that we have some other guests here uh, as well. And they are here to talk to us about uh, the beat within. Yes. Yeah, so you just go right, yeah, right up here. Yeah, it's the beat within. And then the Beat Within, and then you guys have an event coming up on June 8th? Yes, it's called uh, Voices for the Voiceless, and uh, sure. we are a, a creative writing and arts publication uh, from the inside. Uh, you can look us up on the beatwithin.org. Um, we go into juvenile halls and uh, you know, just kind of get, get the kids' uh, minds moving, get them working. Uh, we do a, give them some prompts, uh, talk about some real-life things, uh, have the kids uh, write or draw at the end of the, our little workshop. Right. And then uh, we public we publish that into a um, a magazine, and we distribute that back out into the facilities, so the kids get to see their work recognized uh, with some feedback from the facilitators, uh, Jen, Sheila here, right, and a few others who aren't in the room. 
So, so tell me a bit about the organization. I I, I know that we I, I had it in my notes that there was youth incarceration. That's, yes. So, so it, it is a youth can youth, it is about youth incarceration. Uh, we also do work at the Odyssey House as well. Um, so, you know, if you have any friends going through it, uh, you know, tell them to reach out. Um, we're here for everyone. And, and the Odyssey uh, House is the is a uh, inpatient uh, drug and alcohol rehabilitation that center. Is the one, yeah. Right. Okay. And um, so, yeah, you know, we just feel like uh, art and creative writing is really, you know, one of the most powerful uh, coping mechanisms uh, with, uh, with any problems that you have, you know, within the community or there would be kids involved in crime, um, you know, what have you. So. Right. So are you focusing mostly on a uh, either uh, drug and alcohol uh, population or are you focusing on mostly youth that are incarcerated or just any youth whatsoever? So there are a few of us that um, do work with uh, drug and alcohol. Um, me particularly, um, and I feel like everyone in this room is usually is that we're really just about um, incarceration. Right. Uh, just trying to raise awareness for that. Um, that's what this event for is for, the Voices for the Voiceless. Right. June um, 8th uh, be, uh, at June 8th. Uh, 2120 Port Street in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if anybody else wants to... Yeah, and People Museum are playing. Uh, yeah, they are. <laughs> but that's not... But you guys want to just grab the microphone? Ms. Sheila, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you're involved with the program. You just grab the microphone and just speak directly into it, um, like, like at a 90-degree yes. angle. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, I'm one of the volunteers. Um, I'm a visual artist and uh, activist for wrong for conviction and um the director mike um muska Mosca mm-hmm. asked me to um to become one of the volunteers for um this organization to beat within mm-hmm. and so i thought it was important to go in I, I believe it's important to go in and and maybe a whole workshop with the kids and just to um just to speak to them and 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 um and help them in any way we can and we we uh, focuses and we have topics. We focuses on um, different topics. We also do, do drawing and um, writings, and their writings can um, go into our magazine. We do have a magazine uh, called The Beat Within, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and we're uh, we're also in uh, we're in, essentially we started in Oakland, California, uh, immediately after uh, Tupac Shakur was murdered. Uh, the founders. They started this. Um, so Mike Mosco, he's from Oakland, and his mother was involved with the program. And then she was like, "Hey, you should try this out." And he he actually came to New Orleans to go to school at UNO, and uh, he brought the program with him. Uh, that's actually where he met Jen. Uh, Jennifer's here as well. Hey y'all. Um, yeah. So I I met Mike at UNO, and I'm a recent graduate of UNO. And congratulations. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and I actually, um, before I started volunteering to be a workshop facilitator, I was an editor. Um, and so we take the youth's writings, we edit it, and we actually, before we put it into the magazine, we type up responses um, so that when they see their writing again, um, they can sort of think a bit more critically about their, their own work and to reflect more about the things that they're dealing with. Um, and I've been a workshop facilitator at Rivard, uh, Rivard Juvenile Detention Center over in Harvey for about a year now. Um, and it's been a really rewarding um, and, you know, well, sobering experience working sure. with the with the kids there. And um, I, I think um, one really important thing that we give them um, that they often lack um, on the inside and, of course, often on the outside is just intimate 
consistent, supportive relationships. Right. People who show up f- for them and make them feel like their voices are worthy of an audience. Sure. Um, and oftentimes I would imagine then that it, it has been the, the lack of, of that, perhaps in the past, that put them at risk for whatever high-risk behaviors or uh, that, that put them uh, uh, in, in a, a detention center, definitely. essentially. And you know, sometimes crime is circumstantial. Sometimes, you know, like, it's not necessarily what you've done, but it's just what you've been around. That's exactly right. You know? so it's, it's the structural racism and generational uh, violence and poverty yeah. that people grow up in. Definitely. And, and uh, you know, that uh, Mayor Cantrell always says, and, uh, you know, the best way... Uh, to stop a, a bullet is uh, to uh, you know is a, is a job basically or mm-hmm. is is education. Definitely. The idea being that our society does not provide either one of those, especially to uh, working class communities, uh, and uh, and as a result of that, there's a, a, a shift into um, things like crime or or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. And you know, like they say, it takes a village. Uh, yes, yes, yes. These aren't somebody yes. else's children; yes. these are our children, right? You know, because it's 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 even though I myself don't have any children, you know, there's still kids on the street that are walking sure. through my neighborhood sure. that you know they can react to the way that I, you know, right. act with them and you know right. react to their situation in life, sure. whether they be you know cutting up in the street, you know, having fun, or, you know, clowning around, breaking into cars. You know, it's not; it's really just our responsibility to. And you know, just educate our kids in our neighborhood, whether regardless of whose whose children they actually are, right? Um, and just let them be heard. And and before I follow up on that, I wanted to ask you about Canizero's response uh, to the juvenile sort of rash of crime. Before we do that, though, mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask. I, so I know there's one more person here. Did did you did you want to get on air at all, or if you want to introduce yeah. yourself and sure, you, I'm Blaze Miko. I am mostly just doing. Oh, you you reached out to. Me. Did you reach out to me? I did reach okay, out to you. Okay, right. Yes, yes. I, re- I am the that's a great name. organizer in the room. Thank <laughs> yes. you. Thank I you. remember Blaze. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard name to forget. Yes. Um, I got involved with the beat very recently because of Jennifer, uh, who is a wonderful social justice social justice advocate. I have done a lot of organization with nonprofits in the city, right. and so I've been helping organize the event, namely the silent auction. Sure. So. I would just like to mention that about our event. Sheila Phipps, who is in the room with us, is an astounding visual artist who is yeah. currently exhibiting at the Newcomb Art Museum. And she will have a piece on auction at the silent auction. So, um, And again, this is Voice for the Voiceless, which is happening June 8th uh, at 2120 Port Street uh, in New Orleans. More information can be found at... At thebeatwithin.org. Thebeatwithin.org. Or our Facebook page. Got it. And And then Voices for the Voiceless. You can just type it in events uh, this week, uh, June 8th. And we're all over Facebook, Instagram, TBW NOLA. Super. And then I can see there's a bunch of bands that are playing. One of my favorite bands I was just uh, sharing with Miss Sheila's People Museum will be playing. And what an amazing band uh, they are. And and then also GDOT, Perk. Nandi, Hush Puppy, and Second Lions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, G Dot was actually years ago. He was a uh, part of the Beat Within program. Oh, cool! And Mike uh, has been working at, with Perk uh, at the Embassy Studios, producing music and you know, kind of helping G Dot. You know, a lot of the times, some of the kids will take this program seriously, and there are things that you can that can benefit with with them. 
or for them outside of uh, outside right. of this. Right. And uh, Mike, you know, helps out with that producing music. That's awesome. So, real quickly, I know that that uh, I just wanted to ask you uh, just kind of your your response uh, to Canizero's kind of heavy-handed response toward uh, so-called juvenile crime, and then also you were just talking to us real quickly about the bill that's kind of winding its way through through Congress. Maybe you just kind of give us some of your insight on both of those processes. You know, I, with with the uh, 102, there are you know, obviously pros and cons, but if you look at the... This is the bill. Yes, this right. is the new bill that uh, uh, Edwards just signed. If you, if you read the actual legal document and see the things that they've taken out, th- see the things that they put in, um, it's... It's kind of funky when you, you know, they were locking up kids, you know, 14 years older for crimes like murder, um, you know, rape. You know, granted, all these are bad crimes, but for life, and sometimes they were getting charged, you know, they were getting their cases reviewed at 21 years old and then getting more time. So they've been in jail. You're talking about guys that have been in jail you know, for 23 years. Some, there's, right, you know, and they're 30 or 35 yeah, or something, some, right? Yeah. Some of them were just accessories. You know, right. There's, uh, there's, I know there's a man locked up in, um, in Angola right now who currently he was in a vehicle at the time of a robbery. He had nothing to do with the robbery except for being inside the vehicle outside of the store. Um, you know, the murder was committed, and so he was charged as an accessory. It's, you know, 16 years old. He's been in jail. Here he is 23 years later, and... He's a model inmate. He's done everything he can possibly do to better himself from within. And they it's still... It's about time. Right. Know, it's his opportunity to get out. You know? Right. Um, and, you know, I, I know it's hard to reason with a lot of these crimes, you know, taking taking life or, you know, rape and all of these right. things. Violent crimes. Um, but also you have, to, you have to understand that, like, of the female uh, incarcerated lifers, lifers, 80% of those girls are um they have uh, previous abusive relationships uh in 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 just their family homes of of that 70% of them have sexually have been sexually abused in their past and um you know it's just it's it's about the mental health right and, you know anybody that's listening to WHIV knows that Louisiana has the poorest mental health facilities in the country and it, and it's really time to just change that yeah and it was bad before and then gentle came through and then just stripped away what mm-hmm. was left there was one here in new orleans and then another one in on the north shore and then he stopped the one here in new orleans and then shifted everything over to the north shore and then just completely destroyed that facility in the north mm-hmm. shore uh as well and so uh it, it is somewhat problematic and and um and our heavy-handedness approach to to so-called crime which is really just expressions mm-hmm. of of previous traumas uh and again structural racism and structural violence that 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 people embody uh is that you know i you know when i give my lectures on on hiv or structural poverty and hiv and what have you you know i and hepatitis C, I point out that, uh, and the opioid epidemic, for that matter, we have the highest rates of incarceration in the world, right? You know, in, Orleans, uh, in, in the world, right? In, in, in Louisiana and Oklahoma and o- OPP, right? Which is Orwellianly named. I don't know if that's an adverb or not. I have a writer here, so maybe she could tell. It is an adverb, all right. Uh, named the Justice Center. 
which is crazy. There's no justice there, right? I mean, but it's called Absolutely. the Justice Center, right? But if you think about it, um, we have the highest rates of incarceration in the world, but we still are having massive, you know, like nothing's getting better, right? So we know that the carceral system is not the way to solve this. We know that education uh, and putting money back into the uh, uh, public services, into communities, into housing, into education and jobs. You know what the number one jobs program in America is? The military. Definitely. Right, we're a war economy. Yeah, like, definitely. and we make our our economy in the United States either incarceration, mm-hmm. right, or you know, weapons of mass destruction, definitely. or uh, or wars, or you know, the colon- colonialization of, of of the globe. And so, yeah. I think the work that you guys are doing is incredibly important and is really grassroots. And I would love to have you back on. I know that you guys have Absolutely. a a uh, event called Voices for the Voiceless. Please go out and support the Beat Within. Voices for the Voiceless is June eighth, twenty nineteen at 2120 Port Street. More information can be found at uh, thebeatwithin.org. And anything else before we sign off, uh, uh, Cameron or Ms. Sheila or Jen or Blaze? If I might... Um, speak directly to the microphone. So the event is all for charity. All of the profits, all of the art, all of the work that is going into this, this is being directly funneled back into the organization. So please come out and support us. Any donations you make, your ticket, all of that will directly help these incarcerated youth. So please come out in numbers. We will be thrilled to see you. Get involved in any way you can. This is a great way to start. Thank you so much, Uh, Ms. Jen, Ms. Sheila. Thank you so much. Uh, and then uh, uh, Cameron uh, Holmes, who is a facilitator for The Beat Within, uh, please consider contacting me soon. I would love to have your voice back Absolutely. on air on WHIV. Ms. Sheila, thank you so much. I can't wait to see some of your great art. Thank you. We'll be right okay. back uh, with Dr. Moreland. Go ahead. Oh, oh yeah, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up next is Katie Moreland. I'm so excited to have her on. We'll be right back.
All right. This is 12.3 WHIVLP. Thank you so much for uh, the, the folks from the Beat Within. Again, they their, their uh, uh, program uh, is this Saturday, Voices for the Voices of God. Saturday, this Saturday is crazy. There's so much stuff going on, including Pride Parade is a Saturday, and then NOF has a gala. The New Orleans Abortion Fund have a gala this Saturday as well. But please uh, uh, consider donating or helping these folks out, thebeatwithin.org. They run a great program, uh, and their uh, program is Voices for the Voiceless, which is not unlike how WHIV came around. And to that end, it is an honor and a pleasure to have uh, Dr. Katie Moylan, who is from the UK. Okay, so no, I'm from um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, but I have been living variously in Glasgow and then Dublin and now uh, England, uh, and where I teach media and communications at the University of Leicester. So, oh, Glasgow. I love it. It's my favorite, my hands favorite. down, my favorite city in the entirety of the UK. And if I could move there tomorrow, I so would. Or but, I would move here. So, when I was in Glasgow, they kept saying, well, you know, Glasgow is the New Orleans of Europe. Is that, that's kind of how they kept saying it. And, and I have not heard that, uh-huh. but I get it. Because um, what the two cities share is a real clear, a pronounced aesthetic, if I can say that, uh-huh. or many aesthetics, right. um, a real sense of style. But alongside that, just an in- inherent coolness to the character, yeah, yeah. Um, which, which is not performative. You know, right, some cities right. have to perform how cool they are. Right, yeah, yeah, it's whereas, a good point. Yeah, yeah whereas yeah. Glasgow, I was just there, though. I was just yeah? there two weeks ago, God, so it's I'm very so fresh. jealous. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to go back. But uh, it's, it, like New Orleans, it has an amazing restaurant scene. Yes. So I did a nice comparative analysis of, you know, cocktails across the two cities, which is very <laughs> rewarding in many ways. Um, but they're both, they're also very... Um, interesting in terms of their communities. Uh, Glasgow start was always a working class city. Yes, yes, yes. Unlike and in a direct contrast to Edinburgh. Right. Um, Which is like 40 minutes, an hour away yeah, or something. So the tradition is that people who love Glasgow tend not to love Edinburgh. That's, that's right? how I feel. That's absolutely how I feel. Right. I, I've, Glasgow is way number one for me. And right. I have issues with Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. So we, we just went just for like a couple hours because... Wait, yeah, yeah, you could turn that around and, and yeah, yeah, you could do the that. organic mechanics of production. Yes. That's much way more comfortable. <laughs> I've moved the mic and now I'm more comfortable. All right. Um, my uh, my wife's family was like, oh no, 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 don't don't stay in Glasgow. You guys have to go and stay in Edinburgh. My wife's like, what do you think? I'm like, f that. We're going to Ed- we're going to stay in Glasgow and then we'll go check out Edinburgh. And like we were there like a couple hours. I mean, we went through the castle, did the tour, walked through the city, and we were like train. Back to Glasgow. It was yes. so much more comfortable. It was much more our our style. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, but we're not here to talk about Scotland. Although I could sit and talk about Scotland all day long. They have an amazing prime minister. The the they have uh, forty nine out of fifty one of their seats in parliament are all belong to progressives. They're the first uh, Glasgow. I think is even the first city in the world that's going to demand one hundred percent electrical vehicles by some point uh, in twenty something. I don't know when. It still seems like it's too far away. It needs to happen like tomorrow but even still we're here to actually talk about this amazing book that you and i i, I screenshot it and and i hope I you see it he's yeah. holding it up now yes. <laughs> i'm not holding up the book i'm holding up the the reader a representation of yes the book. of the book and it's called the cultural work of community radio so there by itself of course i love everything uh that uh, that uh, katie has done so i first actually met katie about five months after whiv first went on air and we were a very different i think th- I think the the um, 
the the grassrootsness and the underpinnings of what started WHIV hasn't changed. I think that just a bit of uh, some of the structural and administrative elements have changed. Obviously, we're in a new location, and we're no longer in partnership with some of the folks that we were in before. But when Katie came to see us, she came, and uh, I didn't realize that you were doing I, I knew you were writing something. I guess I didn't realize you were writing a book, and I didn't realize that you were going to have WHIV to play a role in it. Uh, and then it wasn't until I started reading the book that I realized, of course, community radio, then you're going to focus on WWZ, and of course you're going to focus on Radio for the Blind, WRBH. But So first let me just say thank you for including WHIV, and how did you find us? Was, did, was it Jorge who told you about what we were doing? Or? It wasn't Jorge over okay. at uh, WWZ. Okay. Uh, it was I see not. You, you, you quote him a lot, and he's... He's, and he's so eloquent. Right, he is, and he, and he really loves WHIV, so that's why I was wondering if that's where the connection was, because I didn't even think to ask that. When um, you first came to interview uh, and see the station back in 2015. Yes, that's right. And it, about this time of year. So literally. Yeah, no, no. It was, jo- it was yeah. May 29th. Yeah. It was yeah. May 29th, 2014. I know, because like, <laughs> this, is very, this is the wrong way to remember this, but also Facebook keeps saying, yay, you were in New Orleans. I'm like, yeah, I'm here now. That's what's important. Um, so... To be honest, I, I had my researcher hat on. So before coming to New Orleans, I was aware of WWZ. Right. I'm trying to figure out where to start this story. Uh, the short answer is I found you by the researching on the internets okay. of New Orleans Community Radio. Okay. okay. Which is, and we were, again, only on air at that point. New. Yeah, we were so, less it was than six wonderful. months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you're nice. You had shiny studios. You have yeah. much bigger studios now for everybody listening. Uh, so there's a studio space that we're speaking in, but there's also some exterior rooms. It looks like an event space. Right. And we're actually going to actually do even more stuff so the next time you come here and please make sure that coming here and uh, and I would like to partake in some of that uh, the um, the not experimental but the, the cocktails the uh, the testing of cocktails between Glasgow and New Orleans so let me know and we definitely will uh, will do that as well but we there's going to be yeah, yeah there's going to be some changes the next time you come here as well so we're just getting ready for a big big upgrade oh, uh, as you. well so yeah Excellent. so not quite ready to make the announcements publicly yet but uh, but there's some really great great changes uh, coming here uh, uh, to, to, to WHIV. So uh, feeling very good about that. So, But, I mean, it'll be inter- I'll be really interested to see what those are because from where I sit or from where I listen, and I know this is true from people I've spoken to here in New Orleans, um, your programming is just – it epitomizes a lot of what I do think is so important and so valuable about community radio right. because my argument, um, and when I was here in 2015, I didn't know it was going to be a book either. Okay. Um, right. I, I hopefully told you then that I would be writing about what you said because otherwise th- it would be wrong for no, you no, to no, be no, surprised no, 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 by no, that. No, 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 you were, you did all the right journalistic things. Okay. So, like, <laughs> you like, were, I, I just, I, I didn't know if like, cause I had, I had over the course of the years just wondered what had happened. And then when I got the email from you, I was like, whoa, right, yes. And then I looked at it, I was like, oh, she wrote a book. I'm like, oh, of course. I, for some reason I thought it was a doctoral thesis or I, I thought that you were defending and you were looking at community radio. And, and I don't know if you remember, I had just come back from Sierra Leone. Yes, I do remember because we had a really – we had a wonderful conversation, as I recall, like an right. hour-long conversation where we just of talked about Ebola. Yeah, yeah exactly. and it was like – I mean, not, not wonderful because of the topic. But of course. But in terms of 
you know, linking up the kind of work that people can do when structural right. systems are failing people. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's a great, and that's what I did largely was to, as the public health system and the medical system failed in Sierra Leone uh, and through West Africa, which of course brought on the Ebola, this uh, uh, Ebola epidemic. Um, but and I had also just probably recently just got out of quarantine too, if if I can remember, because I remember I was in quarantine well up until um, probably the beginnings of May. And so probably at the end of May, I was just still probably like... That rings a bell, actually. Yeah, so I was still... I was in quarantine because the U.S. is the only place I quarantined. There are doctors and nurses. And where the rest of the world, you, you know, you get an exam, examined before you leave and then you're able to just go straight to work. We were the only ones that actually had a three-week quarantine, which was problematic on, on its own. But I, I but I remember... So I remember just Sierra Leone being in my head a lot. And then and I remember us talking, but I didn't quite know where that information was going to go until you closed that that loop in my in my head or or at least kind of uh, uh by presenting me with this amazing book that i do want to spend the rest of the the hour uh talking about if you're tuning in you're listening to 2.3 whiv this is uh, Noel matters health is a human right and it's really a pleasure and honor to talk about to talk to dr katie moylan who's the author of this amazing book called the cultural work of community radio of which uh, the first chapter is on new orleans and speaks very lovingly about the amazing work that wwz wrbh radio for the blind and then your own WHIV uh, does. So I wanted to see uh, if we can sit and I've got lots of notes. <laughs> Good. I, I, was, I wasn't sure. I started to make notes and I thought, well, or I could just listen to your questions and work from there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so there's uh, there's so many different places to start. So I guess let me just ask you this. What I mean, I know for me the importance of radio. I grew up in Los Angeles in the, uh, in the 70s and radio was your only connection. There was obviously pre-internet days and so uh the radio was your only connection to the community so i learned a lot about music i learned a lot about the type of music i liked which was at that time and still is punk rock or rockabilly and that genre of music was so important and then you start learning uh about what's happening uh, in the community especially when and, and in those days that was and maybe kind of helped me get the timeline correct this was pre. Um, uh, this is when community radio, or when radio was mostly community. It was the Clinton. Uh, uh, Clinton repealed uh, the. Um, he repealed. It was the Communications Act in the late nineties, in which he uh, essentially made it so that uh, uh, that a conglomerate could now own multiple media stations, whereas in the past. You could only have like three radio sta- A business could only have three radio stations and like one TV station. And then the com- the the Communications Act repealed that. So essentially, what you then ended up having was something like what we see now, which is like you know a building in New York City. It some floor will run hundreds of radio stations all over the 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 country, playing more or less the same music. Playing you know it's all programmed out of one. And so what you're losing is the community in that community radio exactly. and so 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 i guess let's just start with that i mean how how did we you know i know how we got there I mean, obviously it was the corporatization of america that that we saw but 
you know, and I'm assuming that the LPFM movement was largely meant to breathe life back into the community through the use of radio. I mean, you make it sound more organized than I think it actually has been in this country, though, um, because, I mean, certainly fair enough, fair certainly, enough. radio here, like other forms of media, um, and certainly as in other countries, has just become very globalized, very homogenized. And what that means that live radio across the board is there is less live radio everywhere. Than there. Well, I all say that the, in, all in over the, the world. Well, in 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 countries like the U.S., like right. the U.K., first what we used to say, first world or the developed world countries. Right. Um, simply because, so one of my ongoing frustrations is that really re- well resourced stations like the BBC in the U.K., for instance, like RT in Ireland, still produce radio shows that are pre-recorded. I don't have problems with pre-recorded shows per se, but I really feel that so much of the value of radio, depending what you listen to it for. And so many people listen to so many different stations for their own reasons, very habitually. They're very emotionally attached to their radio. But I feel a very key um, characteristic of and a value of radio is its liveness because it speaks to us in real time. And what's been wonderful for me this time in New Orleans and certainly the last time is, you know, I've been taking different cars around the city because I don't drive. Um, so whilst I've been here, um, the kind of drivers are all listening to live radio. They're not all listening to you, but they're listening no, to. Uh, <laughs> but I they wait, are listening I, other, to live radio. Other people do get in the car. They'll say that they got into a lift or a, a car, and WHIV was on. But WHIV is just not going to be the sort of radio station that you're going to jump into a car because we're so political. Because uh, you know, pe- like a driver is not going to. You know, they're going to pick up whoever they're picking up. There's, they don't want to have something that could be potentially you right. Know, I mean, because then that's that whole relationship when you're when you're in a car anyway, right. which is a whole other thing which I'd love which to is talk a whole about. Other yeah, thing, yes. which is also fascinating. So the next time you come in, yeah, no, I know so many things. Um, so radio itself has been changing, and I talk to my students about what even is radio, and and they say is Spotify radio, is podcasting radio. Again, a much much bigger conversation about say the form, um, and then there's referencing around licensing, the LP movement. But it's less in, – in Europe, they have um, a recognition that community radio is third sector radio, and there's legislation around it. And so in the UK – So it's protected? It's, it's its own category. So it's not that it's protected. It's more enshrined in legislation. So I guess it's protected as a form. Yeah. Whereas here, you will know far better than I about this because you put in your application for WHIV. Right. But I mean – New Orleans was my first of um, kind of five different, we call them case studies, which is I actually don't like because it's a very kind of clinical word, but it was the first of five locations I went to to study radio. Um, And comparatively, New Orleans has, because it has three licensed community radio stations, that's actually a lot in the U.S. context. Really? Yeah, relatively. But we have more I have three, not... don't we? Or you just focused on three? Or I, I focused on three with community licenses at the time in Got 2015. It. Got it. Now, my argument is that a lot of different stations produce uh, community-facing content. Right. But they may not do it with an LP license. Right. So, um, and I, I was not exhaustive because what I do is I, I, I try to go somewhat into depth to the stations that I talk to the practitioners who work there. But the next place I went to in the U.S. was Miami. Right, I saw that. And Miami, at the time that I was researching it, so again, Googling, and then you kind of make some phone calls. When I was researching that in 2016, prior to traveling there, I found one um, LP license, which was to a guy who I won't name, I guess, but, you know, who's like in his 40s, and he got a license to uh, play alternative music. He was a white dude playing alternative white music which is a particular category that those of us in the U.S., which is, of course, where I'm speaking, um, 
you know, it's like college radio. It's not so hard to find that kind of music. Sure, sure. So I felt like in a place like Miami that the only station that I could find with an LP license was not really community-facing right. in ways that I understand. Right. So when I say community-facing, that itself is a very broad um, set of, of characteristics. Right. You guys exemplify that um, so deeply, I feel right. like, and so politically. Well, yeah, and, and so that brings up something that you brought up in the Miami chapter was that there was a Haitian radio station. Yes, and okay. So, so so let's put a pin on that real quickly, and let yes. me let me ask you the question and then t- and tie the whole thing together. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I know that you... Um, I know that you came and you interviewed us, but you talk about a lot of things that you clearly were following what WHIV was doing because you were talking about things that just didn't exist when you first came in and interviewed us and interviewed me. And so you were obviously ah. following the you were following our our website and you were looking at our programming and it sounded like you were actually maybe even listening at some points and stuff. So and I appreciated that and you up and you made sure that that content that that new content was you know supplanted or or you know was adjunctive to the original interviews that you did with us. But one of the things that we did which we didn't have then is that we have three hours of Haitian radio um, on Saturdays and uh, from six to nine. And it's uh, and and uh, and the way that I found those guys was the week before those guys came and, and pitched their show to us. I actually got into a car to go to the airport uh, cab, and the and the cab driver was uh, listening to was listening to French was listening to Haitian radio. So in, in French, I asked him, "I'm like, are are you Haitian?" He said, "Yes." I'm like, "What are you listening to?" And he says, "I'm listening to an online radio station." So that online radio station those guys um and it's uh it's um jolly bartholomew who is now the dj from that six to nine slot ended up knocking on my door a week later because they had an internet station and they wanted they wanted a terrestrial fm station i gave them saturday night from six to nine which is a perfect time if they play music well and then they, so. but they talk and they also but, uh, all of it yeah. all of the above so so let's so there's that then i saw that the haitians have a radio station in miami and they have their own radio station and then so that that got me to thinking well the haitians are a perfect group of people who are perfect for radio Right, because they love to. I mean, politics is their that's their bread and butter. That is so something that is talked a lot about. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I just was wondering, like that. I thought that was so cool that there's a complete Haitian station in Miami, yes. which is appropriate because obviously Miami in the proximal location to Haiti. And then we have something that's you know again Saturday night. People thought I was crazy giving a full. Creole, French Creole show from six to nine on a Saturday night, and uh, and that you turn, I'll, I'll get in my car and I turn it on, or I'm at home and I turn it on, and it's French Creole, and I love it. But it's, <laughs> but that's exactly, I think it's genius. Right. And and when I was <laughs> here, you. um, no, be, because um, W uh, um, RBH also had um, has I think still because I like to double check these things as I went to print, um, and at that time they still had a show called um la voix de haiti which mm-hmm. i'm probably not pronouncing um, yeah, the, the voice of haitians of course exactly um and and that was ha- that was all in haitian creole as well i did not know that yes okay yeah, wow and they have a vietnamese right. show as well that's great yeah. yeah that's awesome and i kind of and so i spoke to the two guys who respectively who run those two shows right. um about how they felt about representing the community and the complexities of that yes um i would agree with you though that haitian the station uh, where to start Haitian Creole, the sound of it, the Haitian music that I have heard is just so fantastic to listen to. Sure. I mean, obviously, I think the community radio should represent all marginalized communities and give them, as we were talking much earlier, your guests first, a voice for the voiceless. But I also try to look at the aesthetics of radio and content and Haitian content. Haitian Creole 
In my Miami chapter, um, I interviewed three young practitioners who were doing a show at that time called The Morning Drive uh, for that station in Miami, um, WSRF. So just circling back quickly to the question around licenses, um, that station, I believe, does not have a community license as such. There's a lot of strange wiggle rooms in terms of policy, but they are under-resourced like so many community-facing stations do. Um, do have those struggles. They bill themselves, rightly, I think, as uh, the first Haitian station in the nation. Yeah, I, lo- I, I love that, the first Haitian yes, station. It was it just, brilliant. It just sounds amazing and yes. also, you know, true. Yes. Um, so I spoke to the three young practitioners who, they are no longer doing the morning drive. The morning drive is still being produced and people can find it on Facebook. Like so many community radio programs, we can find almost all of this online streaming, which is just such a joy. Right. Um, but those three practitioners, their show, when they were doing it, they would move in and out of Haitian Creole and English within a sentence. Sure, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah and of course. They were they, they they developed that themselves because that was how they were raised. As sure. they said, they were speaking from their layered positions, sure, you sure. know, because yeah. their parents spoke Haitian, but they were they were born and raised in Miami. Um, but apparently, they got they got criticism from the older people in, who just in wanted a, to hear Creole. No, actually. What they said, and the Haitian population in, in Miami, I should say, it's sizable, as you referenced. Sure. I mean, it's a very established population, but it's also layered. There's people coming in newly from Haiti, sure. and then there's generations. Sure. The older people in the Haitian community in Miami gave them a hard time, not, not to be mean, but just said, look, you should be speaking French, because apparently in Haiti... Um, the language of record, the formal language it's for radio French, is right. French, and it's not Creole. Wow, wow. So on the one hand, they say speak proper French, um, and then the other hand, they said, well, you can't just speak Creole, and you're moving it between sentences, and they coined a phrase, the three, um, the three guys, um, called Kringlish. Yeah. They call it Kringlish. <laughs> right. And they just own it. They're like, no, it's, it's, where, it's where we speak from. Right. It's sure. where we're speaking from our identity and to sure. your identity. Sure. I, I'm sure that the Cuban uh, population must have a Spanglish uh, uh, element uh, in some of that Miami radio as well. Well, see, no, okay, this this is how research unfolds in ways you do not expect. Sure. Because that's what I thought. Because when when you're doing any kind of research, where you're picking where to go next, right. and the New Orleans one, I was it was really exploratory for me, and it was just so rewarding because you guys spoke to me, WWOZ, a bunch of people spoke right, to me from right, there, right. and similarly WRBH. So that was so encouraging to me. So I said, okay, maybe I can explore this elsewhere. So that led me to Miami. But I thought, as as you mentioned there. The interesting thing to me about Miami is it also was a kind of was certainly a border city, and so therefore it would be fielding questions around identity and community, and so therefore its radio could be really interesting. Um, but of course, because it's such a substantially Spanish language community, you know my incomplete because it's not survey what I do, but what I could find on the ground was more that uh, the Spanish language radio was the mainstream. Yeah, okay. there's a, 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 what, what, what are they called? There's there's a, a big conglomeration of Spanish language media. Oh, and I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, it'll come back to me. But they own several mainstream stations in Miami, which are Spanish. Be- beyond language. what? Ponderosa? Beyond, okay, that sounds about right. I think so. Not Univision. No, that's more TV. no, exactly. Um, right. And I might have, but it, it starts with a P. 
I, I don't have my book sure, in front of me. I'd have to be leafing through it. <laughs> sure. But um, so what I did hear, though, also on the ground, and I couldn't access these groups, um, where there are a lot of pirate stations yes. f- um, serving newer communities, more recently arrived to Miami from the continent of South America. So Colombian, there's a lot of Colombian radio, which I tried so hard to find. And oh, I, I bet. Yeah. So Cuban. They're, they're, they're pirate for a reason. No, right? again, quite rightly. I, hidden, I, I love yeah. pirate radio. I, I love <laughs> right. all independent radio. I sure. just wish you know, stations that are under-resourced and doing such amazing community-facing first-language work right. would just get some more money yeah, well, so they could run. Yeah. <laughs> which is, that's the question. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so let, going through the book real quickly. So you open up the chapter or the first, uh, your introduction uh, with this second sentence here, which I highlighted and starred many times, which is community radio shows and stations enable and facilitate cultural and political pr- representation of marginalized groups when mainstream radio often and fails to do so. And the reason why I started and, and underlined that was I didn't realize, maybe I did, but I, I wouldn't have been able to verbalize it quite like you did so elegantly here. But I, I thought that that was my only, I thought I was the only one experiencing it. It's sort of like the, it's like I, I tell my wife, um, it, like when I went to my first community radio meeting um, and uh, like a big conference, like a, a yearly conference, and I felt like the uh, bumblebee girl in um, in No Rain. Remember the the song by Blind Melon, the video where she's dressed. Oh my gosh! In, yes. She, and then at the she can't find her people anywhere, and everyone's yes. laughing at her because she's like dressed like a bumblebee. Yes. And then at the end of the thing, she finds all the other people that are dressed like bumblebees in the field, and they're all dre- there. So that was kind of my experience. Finding your people was finding my. people people and yes. I didn't realize that there were other people who were as frustrated with me t- until I met all those other people and I felt like I found my people but you so eloquently wrote it here and so is that is, is this something that's pervasive through the US is this a global thing or you know that the idea of community radio and community radio representing underrepresented voices or I marginalized so. voices I mean in what I found yes uh, so I first I'll try to not go too, you know, off piste as it were, but I, I first got into looking at community radio when I was doing my PhD, um, with my first book called Broadcasting Diversity. Um, that's me plugging apologies. I'll move past. No, 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 please, please <laughs> broadcast diversity was, by Dr. Katie. Yeah, Moylan. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I, I was in Dublin and in, in Dublin in the two thousands, um, Ireland was a very white country. Okay, it was a very homogenized country, basically because it had no money. So people did not migrate to Ireland the way they migrated to the UK. Um, so what happened in the 2000s when we had the Celtic Tiger and a boom for the first time is we did have inward migration, which made it finally diverse, you know, and catching up with the rest of the world. But what that meant is its national uh, broadcaster, RTE, um, which is their equivalent to BBC and kind of like an equivalent, it's like a mashup between NPR and PBS here because it has a much more state it's not state media because that's a different thing but it it very much must represent the nation okay um so it it sort of tried to represent these new communities Um, i'm putting quotes on that new communities because nobody knew how to think about people who were not white and irish so they did programming that said like here's an african person what does it feel like to be african in dublin and just really that kind of uncritical, multicultural, you guys eat different food and listen to different music kind of thing. I mean, which isn't 
bad, but it doesn't go into actual everyday experience. So what I found in Dublin is I came across a community station called um, African Voice, African Voices, where two young practitioners, um, one from South Africa, one from Nigeria, were talking about their experiences of being black and in Dublin and, and how they And probably in. having to deal with a religion ra- that's completely... And racism. racism. And nobody yeah. said this stuff on the radio. Nobody was talking about this. And here, here, here was... Um, these two guys talking about their experiences in ways that were so valuable and so needed to be articulated and were nowhere in mainstream radio. Right, of course. But I found that also to be the case in the UK. And I talked to my students about this. Um, I say, look, it's the BBC. The whole world's heard of the BBC. It's so well-resourced. It has a lot of money. We all pay a license fee to it. And it does not represent uh, the very, very many communities of the UK, which is such a diverse country in generations going back. And these groups are not anywhere near equitably represented. Nowhere near. Nowhere near. Um, And so community stations in the UK, uh, as of speaking now, there's 200. I should have this figure in front of me. But um, there's a lot. And they are officially licensed by EU legislation. Well, guided by that recognition of community radio as a third sector um, in the EU more broadly. So that's in the EU. So you just bring up an interesting. (laughs) What happens if Brexit actually happens? Does that... Uh, I don't think those legislative structures will necessarily be dismantled. I also, Brexit is such a huge and tormented issue right now. To be honest, I don't think there's enough attention to be paid one way or the other to those structures. There's so many other things. No, 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 I understand. But like, I mean, I could potentially see like in five years, we look back and be like, well, what happened to radio in the UK? You yeah. know that oh well Brexit happened and then when the the new new structures of of, of policies were erected and they weren't quite as strong as as they as were robust for, that right, actually robust, I could see right. that happening as well because when it's EU wide obviously that's a recognized legislative um, set of measures right and so we would not we the UK would not be beholden to those legislation that's and that's what I'm yeah, saying quite, like so yeah, that is a true. that's something to kind of like think about yeah. and. Uh, when we have our comparative drinks, uh, we'll, when exactly. you come back, you'll, yes. you'll update me on, on, on that. I will, and hopefully it won't be bad updating. Yes, you know? I, 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 I hope so. You were talking about state uh, uh, media, so I guess I, you, you mentioned it. So, um, like, when you look at the U.S. so-called state media, which to me represents mostly, um, and I'll give all three of them, I think all three of them are terrible, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, are there other media entities like that? I would imagine so in other parts of the world, but are they as flagrant um, as as we see here with the you know the propping up of the establishment and so so against change? I mean, I was just reading there was a New York New York Times a New York Times article just like over the weekend that just showed that Bernie Sanders they were like, well, Bernie Sanders is washed up, you know, he's but he's number two. Like, yeah. and they're like, you know, his already just, you know, denigrating because of, I think that the fear of if you get a candidate like Bernie Sanders to become president, it's going to threaten the establishment significantly so. And so you have these kind of mainstream media, which again, I, I consider all three of the big cable networks to be state media. I, I would say Fox News, probably the, the worst of them all, uh, maybe then MSNBC, then maybe CNN. That's my, my personal ranking. Uh, but like, what is your take on that? And, and is there, is there state media like that in, 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 in the UK as yeah. well? Or? I mean, yeah, this is, this is one of the reasons I still love teaching media to my students because, um, hopefully I, 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 I demonstrate or I, I, I facilitate them finding out the degree to which, uh, again, the BBC does not represent 
uh, its right. constituents and does represent a kind of mainstream. I mean, it is more complicated than, sorry, they are more nuanced, I should say, than the three that you mentioned, um, and even more nuanced than NPR, which I have my own problems with oh, as well. Oh, NPR is... Because, again, it's super it's normative. Another, it's for yes, middle-class white people. Yes, and absolutely. more than once I've heard them kind of being soft on guns, for instance, and I yes. stopped listening. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I agree. Yeah. And also they get their funding from, from, the, from Congress, yeah. and it's not as well entrenched, and so um, they'll just threaten not funding them. I mean, they were doing the same thing with Sesame Street. And they were like, well, it says Oh, me. that's right. Right, remember that? Like, yeah. so Ted Cruz was like, and yeah, like, I'm going to kill Big Bird. You know, that was the who, meme. I, like, it, it's it, heartbreaking, nearly. Right. I mean, because you, you are talking about... And these are why there need to be policies yeah. and, that protect yes. these media entities. So NPR, I stopped listening to decades ago because it's just again i started whiv because there was there's no voice out no. there uh, no, that, that's like whiv and in fact i was going to end the interview with this but now i just jumped right to it so let me ask you this are there any other stations that you know of that are like whiv again i um community stations well yeah they're, they're, well, they're, it's more like there are stations that do similar work to you right. in relation to community facing shows which are maybe or overtly po politicized right so what i also did in the book is i do um i did research in toronto and in montreal right so and in so, canada right. and, and the book that we're talking about is by dr katie moylan it's called the cultural work of community radio Yes, thank you. I appreciate right. the ongoing shout-outs for that. Cheers. Um, so uh, CKUT in Montreal, I could go into Canada's different um, licensing system, but I'll go straight to the programming policies. So CKUT um, is has a collective structure in its management, and this meant when I interviewed them, when I reached out to them in the first instance, they do everything by consensus, like really. Huh. Is that Montreal itself has a very interesting, very well-developed, um, very left kind of informed, entrenched sense of community justice and development from the 70s. Sure. Um, and so they have developed community radio to that model. Another amazing station there, which um, was... Uh, oh, I'm blanking on it, forgive me. Um, but um, it was 100 degrees where I was today, and I think some of that has melted my sure. brain. But there, there is another station in, in Montreal which was uh, dedicated to representing diverse groups and diverse languages. CKUT is affiliated with McGill University, but it has programming that identifies itself as like arts-based, alternative-based, but also to say community. They, they have um, the Voice of Korea show, Two of the people who spoke to me for the book, um, one was a young woman who runs a show called Under the Olive Tree, which the whole focus of that show, which is an hour once a week, but at a really good time from 11 to 12, is Palestinian solidarity. Oh, cool. And yeah. that is their focus. Right. And they do uh, live broadcasts linked with other stations, also pro providing uh, social justice programming. Got and it. the woman I interviewed for that very much sees herself as, 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 as focused on social justice issues because she's speaking to people who are familiar right. with with um the struggle in palestine but but also who are therefore defining themselves as activists more widely right. so she recognizes that people aren't just that's not their single issue right so i would call that overtly politicized radio but Got then it. again any the morning drive which has a very mainstream sounding title that program in Miami I was talking to you about um that too I feel is also political right. because the act of representing oneself Mar uh, the Haitians are a substantial group in Miami but you don't see them represented on say 
their local NPR affiliate. Right. Or there is one show, I should say, on, on the NPR affiliate, but it's tiny. It's like a half an hour long. Right, so of course. the act of representing themselves is itself political. We're talking with Dr. Katie Moylan, who is the author of this amazing book called The Cultural Work of Community Radio. I, I know it goes by fast, doesn't it? Of which WHIV is in uh, chapter one, so we're so happy about that. Um, let me just, uh, a couple things like that. Let me just say, one is that I often say that WHIV, you know, where our byline is, we're dedicated to human rights and social justice. And I think every single person that comes on WHIV, if they're either playing music or if they're talking, there's elements of human rights and social justice that's deeply, deeply woven in the foundations of this station. So, I, you know, I, if there are other stations like that, um, I just, you know, uh, I would love to know. Um, I have actually tried to reach out to some folks that broadcast in Palestine and I've never had them respond for obvious reasons. I mean, I'm certain that like a random you know, radio station called WHIV from New Orleans. But uh, if, you know, I'd love to talk off air and to see if that, if that person would be interested in possibly sharing her show uh, here because that is one voice that we don't have are uh, Palestinian voices on, on WHIV. And that, that is a big kind of blind spot for us right now. I mean, so I would love to have that. I, I think I think um, that kind of opens up, if I can say quickly before the sure. end of the hour, that I think there's so much capacity for kind of like content sharing for collaboration across community yeah, stations, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's so, something I'm actually looking into in future as well. So we will definitely talk. Good, and, and so that brings um, but, me up to, yes. uh, I don't mean to cut you off. So two quick quick things because sure. I wanted to get to them real quickly. One is talking about like. The, the past of what radio was and is, and that is, and that gets to what you were just saying, is that it was a very simple tool for communication. And I think that, you know, in my deeper, darker, cynical thoughts, I see, you know, especially climate change or war or all the above or, you know, whatever, what's going to be left standing is radio. And you mentioned that again in your opening paragraph about the simplicity of radio and why it's so important. And people laugh at me. They're like, radio. They're like, why don't you just g- give me a brick? And I'm like, no, well, it's, you know, I, I, see I, get what that too. I see what you're saying and, and I hear you on that. But let me say that radio now, and you mentioned this earlier, so, and, and it goes back to what you were saying. I think radio is defined as streaming, um, uh, is uh, broadcasting, podcasting, and streaming. Those are the three elements of what I think effective radio is today. It's not people are like, I don't have a radio. I, I don't have, you know, I just, or I have one of my car lists of WHIV. I'm like, well, dude, we stream and we podcast. Go check out our website. I mean, any modern radio is, you know, it's like just saying, like, yeah, you know, it's just like, oh, I don't watch TV. Well, you probably watch Netflix and yes. you have an on demand. So, and that's the way that life is going right now. That's the way those two media have changed. You right. know, we, we are, they are still TV, they're still radio, but we are accessing them in different ways. I, I'm a radio scholar. Mm-hmm. I listen to radio half the time on my phone. Right. You know? Yes. I, I, that's um, how I listen to WHIV and that's right. how I listen to news. I, I, I just want to say something quickly because I think this is a, just something to, to remind people people about um so you mentioned for instance climate change if radio did start off and has been an analog medium and wwoz um people were telling me when i was here in 2015 were really instrumental and important after katrina yes they were um and it's that kind of function too that yes radio has these capacities i'm i've studied some tribal radio stations on tribal lands and some of their capacities just really do such important work like um, providing emergency response and emergency yes. information this is crucial and acute services that the that the country that the u.s should be enshrining in its systems it's not doing it and so 
one of the other things that community radio does um, is it takes up the slack where yeah. the state, where systems are letting people down, like your guests at the beginning of the mm. hour, where they're doing great outreach work because people are being let down by structures. Yeah. And so community radio has some capacity to reach out to people, to make people connect to each other, and it's those capacities that I find so important and valuable. The Culture Work of Community Radio by Dr. Kaylee Moy- Katie Moylan. Chapter 1 has a great chapter on uh, WHIV, WWZ, and WRBH, and I didn't even get I didn't even get chance to go past page 1. Uh, thank you so much, Katie. We got, uh, um, uh, coming up next is Resistance Radio. Please come back. I would absolutely love to. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thanks for uh, st- tuning in uh, coming up next. Thank you. Time's rolling on the side. See this showing, or somewhere new to be going. Uh, uh, uh. So keep moving. 